Welcome to the Focus Today podcast with Perry Atkinson. Well, welcome back. Uh, delighted to have with us today uh, Brandon Showalter. Now, Brandon is a journalist and uh, podcaster with the uh, Christian Post, co-author uh, with our good friend uh, Dr. Jeff Myers of the book Exposing the Gender Lie and How to Protect Children and Teens from the Transgender Industry's False Ideology. And there's a picture of that, uh, of the cover of that book. Certainly encourage you to take a look at this. And uh, you, of course, uh, his website is christianpost.com. Brandon, good to see you. How are you? Thank you so much. Good to be here. Thank you. This is uh, obviously... Uh, a, di a difficult subject, and yet it's exploding in our culture uh, on unbelievable levels. We are starting to see some pushback. Um, so I don't know how much we can get accomplished here today, but we need to learn more about this. I, I was working with some pastors the other day, and it was interesting that churches now are beginning to, at least some, are beginning to write position papers of where that church is as it relates to some of these cultural issues, primarily from a biblical perspective, obviously so, which also augments whatever their denomination is saying about it. Right. So that when somebody comes into the church, the church has already taken a position, uh, not only to be maybe against what it is as far as sin is concerned, but also certainly leaving the door open to minister and to help and to bring about restitution. Um, is gender dysphoria a real thing? Uh, gender dysphoria uh, is listed in the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, uh, version 5, which is sort of, it's the, sort of the psychiatric manual that outlines the diagnostic criteria for these mental health conditions. Um, yes, it is real. Um, it is, it's disputed. What is disputed is if it is a standalone condition or not. Uh, I am of the view, and this, I'm not a, psychiatrist or a clinical uh, mental health clinician, and so I'm just a journalist, but I, I personally believe that for those who are experiencing a genuine distress over uh, their sex, it is a comorbidity. Uh, it's usually accompanied by other mental health issues, depression, anxiety. Many people in this modern version of gender dysphoria are on the autism spectrum. I would want to be careful not to conflate all of those things. But um, oftentimes, gender confusion, uh, what used to be known as gender identity disorder and what is now called gender dysphoria, comes as a result of some kind of childhood trauma or horrific abuse. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to make fun of anyone who is experiencing this kind of distress. It's an absolute nightmare. Um, but I think what we're seeing today is quite different than what we used to see with this condition in that... Uh, the vast majority of those who are dealing with this are predominantly teenage girls and young women, whereas in previous times, the overwhelming majority of cases of what were what was known as gender dysphoria overwhelmingly afflicted uh, very young boys. Uh, and so I think there's been a social contagion that has caused uh, this, this massive spike amongst teenage girls. It is very real, um, but I think... Um, it's, it's morphing and modulating in some very interesting directions, and we need to be very careful with how we talk about it. Um, but again, certainly wouldn't want to uh, make fun of anyone who's experiencing a genuine distress. That's certainly something that, as you hinted there, as to pastors writing position papers, they want to leave the door open 
uh, to minister to people and give them good pastoral care. And when you look at the landscape and the culture, it's not hard to understand why there is so much confusion out there, because uh, this is everywhere in culture. There's nowhere to escape from it. Okay, so um, let's see if I get got what you're saying correctly. Uh, I, I realize today the culture has maybe jumped over the cause of this and trying to deal with it. But the cause of this is still in in the definition of mental health. Is that is that true? It is an official condition listed in the DSM five. Yes. Okay. So, so yes. if, if it's That's if correct. it's in if it's in the mental health issue, which is probably a result of a, if I can use the word trauma or a PTSD moment in a child's life, mm-hmm. it could be yeah. anything. It could be a parent's divorce. It could be an abuse. It could be anything. So right. if you go back to the origin of the mental d- disruption in the, in the psychic of this person. Mm-hmm. And, and we're just passing that off, saying, well, that's just mental. And we're jumping over now, and we're trying to figure out how to justify these people doing what they're doing. We really have missed the point. We have. and But I'll also say that, I, again, while I absolutely believe that there are underlying issues for those people who are dysphoric and are really struggling with their mental health, there is a social contagion. I very much believe that where this becomes a, a fad, a craze. Uh, the Watershed okay. book okay. that was written a few years ago was okay. Abigail Schreier's Irreversible Damage, where this is ginned up on social media, girls coming out in friend groups. So some of these girls may have experienced a very real trauma in their past, but that's not everyone. Okay, so... Uh, I want to deal with the social part of it, too, because I also know within the social part of the, the contribution to the problem, the social pressure to go along, to get along, it also provides protection. In other words, I'm going to go there so that I'm not bothered. Is that, is that part of it? Well, I, I think with the culture's celebration of all things LGBTQ+, plus, uh, for young people who... Uh, for any number of reasons, uh, decide <laughs> that this is something that they can identify into because they lack an identity of their own, this really gives them that. If someone mm-hmm. comes out as trans in school, they immediately become the popular kid. I don't think we can ignore that. Um, this becomes social currency for a lot of young people, some of whom very well may be struggling with their mental health. I mean, I feel all kinds of phone calls, and I said recently in another interview that it's really uncanny how many times I hear from moms and dads who are distressed about their children being mired in gender confusion, and they tell me that their kids are on the autism spectrum. It just, it's probably at least half of the phone calls really? I get. Really? Really? Yes. And so, and I want to be careful that I'm not saying that they are one and the same because they are not, but it's, it's really unnerving when you hear how many autistic people who are on the spectrum, mild or moderate or, or severe autism, where they, they get latched onto this and they obsess over it and they fixate on it. Uh, and they adhere to this new gender identity very rigidly. Um, okay, a couple other quick questions before we move down the road here. Um, boy, it, is part of this a sense of belonging? I think so. That's just my personal opinion. I, uh, I think that with the breakdown of faith and with the breakdown of family, this does provide an alternative of sorts. And we are, I believe, as as human beings, very social creatures who are wired for 
uh, relationships we need to be known in communities. Uh, Mary Eberstadt's book, Primal Screams, How the Sexual Revolution Created Identity Politics, explains this more fully. And her theory, and I'm inclined to agree with it, is that with the breakdown of family and with the ever-increasing advance of the sexual revolution, it has fractured, it has fractured our body politic and people have this is why you see the rage in our culture is that when you criticize a certain group, people react with this frenzied fury. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they need a place to belong. And especially during the month of June, we see all of these sort of social groups under the banner of rainbows come together as though they are family. You hear the language of family sometimes right. uh, in, yeah. in these places, these communities, but it's not, it's no substitute for the real thing, certainly in accordance no. with how uh, our faith would in, in that um, indoctrination uh, becomes, um, we are the family, you can come, we accept you, we love you, which is the um, putting the church and its belief on the shelf as being the enemy because we don't believe that what you're doing is right. So the church becomes somewhat the enemy. But I have one other quick question before I take a break. Why has this issue become the dominant topic of education? Well, (laughs) I think when we see the advance of this ideology in the school system, one of the most important things is to follow the money. Uh, It sounds like a conspiracy, but if you can brainwash an entire generation of young people to believe that there's something wrong with their bodies or that you just keep them confused, there is a pipeline, I believe, from the school systems to these medical facilities, and I have lost count how many stories I've heard where young people and children become indoctrinated to believe that their bodies are wrong and they need to fix it with hormones and surgeries, and there are guidance counselors, and sometimes in certain states, in Oregon and California, where medical facilities, even on school grounds, are very close to them, they can. there's this, there's this kind of pipeline. And so it dominates so much of our cultural space and in education because They've got a whole raft of young people who supposedly have all of a sudden need all these medical services and products. Uh, Jennifer Billick, who blogs at the 11th Hour blog, has written extensively about this. Her investigative journalism is superb. But this dominates our education system because I think that's where a lot of the clientele for these experimental drugs, medicalization, and surgeries are. That's where where the customer base is built. This is so interesting. By the way, I want to tell our our, get, our viewers and listeners that uh, Brandon also is a contributor to a documentary titled uh, Dead Name. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. And you can go to Dead Name, um, let's see, Dead, DeadNameDocumentary.com. There is that website. You'll see the landing page there on the screen. And, of course, he also is a journalist for TheChristianPost.com. You can check that out. One other Question, Brandon, I don't know if you can answer it. I'm trying to figure out in my mind, just trying to be a human. I realize I come at it with the biases of a Christian. I understand that. But I'm trying to figure out in my human mind how anybody could mutilate a teenager in surgery. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to figure this out. Why the medical community hasn't stepped in and say, no, no, no. you have any idea? Well, the medical community hasn't stepped in and said, no, 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 because they have been captured. 
very, you know, I think evil people in high places have redefined our standards of care over the years very stealthily, very sneaky, where these academic medicine types that have ideologically taken over places like the Endocrine Society, the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, even though it's a small minority of those doctors, when they get into those positions of power within the professional associations and they redefine how to treat gender dysphoria, uh, and then they speak to the media and they can then twist and manipulate perceptions of what this is all about, and then they hook their wagon to LGB civil rights, everybody just sort of thinks that this is part and parcel of all of that. Um, uh, it is, I, I have the same kind of reaction that you do, though, because why on earth you would ever cut and disfigure a child's body and remove a physically healthy body part? You don't have to be an expert in biomedical ethics to just know at a very gut level that that's wrong. Um, but it's it's amazing the level of deception and the media, the corporate press has played a huge role in trying to gaslight people into making them think that this is actually a good thing, lest their child is going to commit suicide. That's the other threat that's used. If you don't allow us medical experts to drug and surgically disfigure your child, they're going to wind up dead by suicide. And that has uh, a lot of power over scared parents' minds. I, it's so insidious and manipulative. I, I think it's evil. So it's evil, selling a fear, it's evil. Uh, and yet the numbers now, the result of people going through that and uh, the, the suicide numbers on the other side of the surgery are higher before the surgery. So, all right, let me take a quick break. This is amazing. I want to talk to uh, uh, Brandon about his documentary. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We'll be back to this week's interview in just a few seconds. In the meantime, we want to let you know that you can watch this interview, plus many more exclusive interviews that happen this week on the Dove's daily TV and radio show by visiting our website, thedove.us. And while you're there, sign up for our free daily devotional, The Word for You Today. Three months of daily readings that will connect you with God's Word. Now, back to the show. And uh, honored to have back with us today, uh, Brandon uh, Showalter. He's a journalist and podcaster with the Christian Post, co-author, along with uh, Dr. Jeff Meyer there of uh, Summit Ministries, the book Exposing the Gender Lie. And uh, he's also a contributor to a recent documentary entitled Dead Name. Uh, this is a story that, that tells the story of three families that were upended by gender ideology. Uh, Brandon, tell us about this uh, this documentary, we're, we're trying to find the trailers. If we find it before we end here, I'll play it. But in the meantime, uh, what's this about? Well, Dead Name profiles three families, as you just said, that were ruptured by this ideology. And the filmmaker Taylor Reese has done an excellent job showing just what this does to the family structure, how it uh, destroys relationships. And that has been an angle that has not gotten so much focus. Yeah, you mentioned at the beginning of the segment that there's been some pushback and legislatively that's true because the medical issues are finally become uh getting more scrutiny the effects of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones body altering surgeries and the like what has not been examined so much is just what this does to families uh, parents who are cautious and hesitant about allowing their children to go down this medical pathway do not have friends in the corporate press they try their their voice their their perspectives are not considered um, and so this film shines a very you know, crucial light on what it's really like because 
this really upends and destroys a lot. I was honored to be in uh, in the film as a contributor. Uh, the way I like to describe it, it's an intimate portrait, fly-on-the-wall glimpse of what this really does when suddenly a child starts identifying as the opposite sex, and then immediately there are all these medical issues that invade the home, and parents who have questions are immediately uh, undermined and marginalized and they're cast as bigots for not supporting their trans child, so to speak. Uh, it's a very thought-provoking, haunting film. Uh, DeadNameDocumentary.com. Okay, I'll, I want to ask you a question here, because there seems to be um, one other point to this. Um, all of this in the end, when, when, when a, a young person is introduced to this, it could be the, whatever the background is. They, they come to the point where they're introduced to gender confusion. How would you describe the spiritual component of that moment? The, the spiritual component of being introduced to gender confusion? Yes. Well, I certainly as a Christian uh, believe this to be an assault on the image of God on every person as male and female. And so this is a, is a distortion and a twisting of that, and I do believe there um, is a, a very a very wicked and evil spiritual dimension to this entire fight. Uh, but even if you don't believe in any of that, um, and I, I hear from people who are not religious and hear my work at the Christian Post, it does cause them to, when, when their kids deal with this, they start to ask a lot of fundamental moral questions about the nature of good and evil. And I... I just think, you know, what could be more perverse and wicked than to communicate to a child, whether a male or a female, that somehow their body is itself wrong, that they were born in the wrong body. That's the line of transgender activists. What it is, what you might call it, and theologian N.T. Wright has said as much, this is a new form of Gnosticism, where it's a rejection of the body, a rejection is sort of the one who knows, you know, to sort of transcend the body in pursuit of a physiological impossibility. So there, there are many dimensions to this moral moral evil, but I, I would concur, and the, the passage that I often speak of when I consider this entire fight, this entire debate over gender, as it, as it is, is Ephesians 6. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And this particular fight manifests itself uh, with a war against the human body. Um, the human body... Is a, is a wondrous thing. It declares who we are as human persons, as male and female. And so no wonder that is the target of the assault of, of the demonic. So I, okay. there's many layers to it, but uh, this, is some, this is some brutal stuff for sure. The reason I bring this up, as I mentioned at the top of the program, our time together, is that churches are really struggling how they're going to respond. It's showing up in youth groups. Youth pastors today are dealing with things that we never had to deal with. They never had to deal yep. with before. And so uh, where the church wants to respond in an authentic, loving way and yeah. yet still deal with the assault that this brings to Bible theology uh, creates a conundrum by which they just can't seem to find the bridge to bring mm -hmm. the two together. You want to be yeah. you want to be accepting, but not accepting. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think the church is in a real pickle. They don't know what to do here. Well, and it is confusing. 
And I, this is, it has really, the, the contagion, as I keep saying, the social contagion has really been very quick. It's, it's exploded on the scene. In the Dead Name film, There, we see parents who dealt with this a little bit before this explosion. Um, and people are left scrambling. And I know even very good and Christian godly counselors and therapists who want to help, but it's it's a new area and they don't have expertise and they don't agree with this gender dogma that has infected everything but it has been a it's they're trying to find resources and you know with the ideological capture of so many of the professions it is a hard thing to do i think though that what pastors and you know christian leaders who are sincere about wanting to help people is that you need to stay anchored in theologically in genesis 1 we are made male and female in God's image, and even if you don't, and scientifically, that's just true too. Human beings are sexually dimorphic mammals. Where the sexual, <laughs> it's a binary. Uh, intersex conditions, as they are called, disorders of sexual development, that's often used to sort of prove trans is real. That's an inaccurate conflation. We just need to stand on the science that we're male and female, and walk people who are truly confused through their process but have the courage to tell the truth relentlessly, that no one has ever been or ever will be born in the wrong body. Your body is you, you get the body that you get, and that's it. Um, and so maybe the other thing that I think they could do is they can convey to people, okay, so maybe you're a boy who prefers the arts and music. God bless, that's great. Maybe you're a girl that likes to fix cars and you know likes auto mechanics and you're more of a tomboy. That's great too. That does not mean that you are somehow not your sex. That there's many ways to express your masculinity or your femininity. You don't have to conform to a rigid box. Um, but fundamentally, we want to prevent irreversible medical harm. And that is, I think, the greatest concern with the incursion of this ideology is that young people could wind up sterile and disfigured. And frankly, that's just unconscionable. This is one of the worst medical scandals the world has ever seen. And it's child abuse to do this to a child. Well, child abuse. And I'm just wondering why we haven't looked over the fence into the animal world and say, why isn't it happening over there? Why haven't we looked over the fence and say, why hasn't it happened in the plant world? I mean, we, are we telling young children yeah. that they're foxes that want to become chickens? I know. It's really insane. I mean, it, this, really, is, but, this but, doesn't make but any to sense. To undermine the point, yeah, but I think people people aren't are starting to get it now. With there's, I think there's probably 18 or 19 states that have passed some sort of uh, bill, uh, uh, passed into enacted into law a restriction, or they've given detransitioners the right to sue, uh, or limited this kind of medical uh, intervention for uh, for for young people for minors. But even that, I don't think completely out. You know, articulates the harm. It is gravely harmful because your body; these changes are yeah. permanent. You reverse it, but yeah. the family rupture, and you see this in the Dead Name film, the Dead Name documentary. Right. I think people's family pain is where some of the greatest pain that can exist. And yeah. so, if people want to get a taste of the anguish of what this is like for moms and dads, for for uh, it, it splinters the whole family. You know, right. aunts and uncles, how this hits right. spouses against each other. I mean, this is the relational and family rupture is I think the next phase of what we're going to see, the fallout of, of what this ideology and dogma has done in our society. So people really should go watch the movie, deadnamedocumentary.com, to, to get a glimpse of that. All right, deadnamedocumentary.com, you can watch it. Well, Brandon, thank you. I know that these are hard things to talk about. I, I will say this, there appears to be, 30 seconds here, there appears to be now a social pushback. I don't know how far it'll go. 
but there seems to be pushback now, and hopefully we'll stand up for the sake Hope of Hope so. Time. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Let's stay uh, connected. This is fascinating. Check out a couple of websites. Uh, that would be a deadnamedocumentary.com or christianpost.com, where Brandon is also a journalist there, and the podcast as well. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's Focus Today podcast. Remember, you can visit our website to check out all the interviews we did this week on our daily Focus Today TV show at thedove.us. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and share it with your friends.